0: Hey everybody, welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. Uh, Today we are talking about devils, how to cast them out. Up until this point, we've done a couple episodes about how you get them, uh, but now we're going to talk about how to get rid of them. It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching the Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Got to give a shout out to James Bearfield who made this song. It's so good. I like it. It's a good song. It's a. It's. I can. I was like I need anthem rock but not like I didn't heavy. know he made that. James Bearfield made this on his Shout computer. Shout out James. Way to go James. Yeah, good job. Uh this is Michael. That's the other Michael. How's it going? And today Oh, hey there. We are doing our podcast called To Be Continued where we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and how they have continued. Uh, today we're talking about demons. Not that demons are a gift, but uh, how use of the you gifts you called of the them Spirit demons to cast them is, out. Like you it's always call devil. them devils. Well, I, I enjoy calling, so much them fun
1: calling them devils. I do. Is it it's the Pente- in the Pentecostal world, your your world, former world. Is that what
0: they always they, call they just, them? I don't know. It's like you know when you say Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost. You know, you it say is. Holy Ghost with a little "uh" to it, and you say the Holy devils. Ghost kicks out the devils. That's right. That's right. Okay. I call them.
2: I call them critters. <laughs> I, I want to accurately is, is represent that, what they are.
1: Is, but, is that in the Bible, Michael?
2: No, but the word demon today takes on so much more of a intimidating persona because of Hollywood, and so uh, the word critter is actually more fitting when you think about, you know, their abilities. Okay. Well, there you go. Granted.
1: Well, welcome to the show, guys. hope that you guys subscribe. We've got uh, some great shows coming up and shows that we've already had. Talked about witchcraft this week. Talked about John Wesley this week. We've been doing demon episodes for a few weeks. So if you're interested in this episode and want to catch some of those, uh, just look up all our episodes on the devils and uh, casting them out and all all that business. So that's been our Wednesday episode. Coming up this uh, this week on Monday, we have an episode about theology and the arts. How does theology speak into the arts? How has it done so historically throughout uh, the church? How can it do so today? And so, as uh, so we're going to talk about all those things uh, specifically in the in the field of music, will be the the primary area of art uh, we'll be focusing on. And uh, we also have history of
0: the Baptist Church. History of the Baptist Church. Uh, I think we're filming that episode though. I don't think it's going live. Next it won't be week, live, but it'll but be at four o'clock. That's true. Yeah. Okay. It's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating. Lots of good stuff coming so, down the pike. Hit that subscribe button. Subscribe. Uh, if you which aren't we've already. we informed. It's Pike. It's Pike. It, if you haven't already, uh, make sure to give at the Patreon link down below. Uh, we're entirely crowdfunded. Uh, if you give, you can give on PayPal as a one-time gift. But if you give on Patreon, so those five bucks a month, you get really cool extra content such as our book club that we're doing, The Kingdom of the Cults. This week, we're going through Buddhism, uh, talking about all the Buddhism stuff. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. You don't have to have read any of the other former chapters. Just read that chapter. Uh, go to the link at the description. There will be a Vimeo. Uh, Vimeo? zoom uh, link that goes up we'll click on that zoom link and we'll all discuss that chapter together it's gonna be a lot of fun and there may be a special guest that joins us who must remain anonymous anyway Mm. uh millie how is uh how's denver tell us about your uh what we're going through today
2: uh i'm good sorry i can hear my son Playing with some sort of dice right above. Oh, him, so yes. I apologize I can hear it that as already. Well. What, yeah. what is that yeah. in the background? You're, I, his, I, I my his kid son, is, is playing with something. Sarah's is,
1: like bringing him food. He's it's like slipping it under the door <laughs> in the
0: basement. No, that that's the son of Archer casting lots upstairs. That's yeah. what that is. He has a son of yes. Archer. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, so, sorry. What was the question? How's it going? What are we talking about? Uh, uh, yeah, things well, are going about. well. Yeah. Um, we are today we're we've we've covered a lot. We've covered different ways, sort of, if I could kind of backtrack on how this series began. Uh it was sort of the right way dealing with misconceptions and, and, and bad theology surrounding demons. The way we talk about it, we use the word demonized, not possessed, because possessed is not actually an accurate term for what we're dealing with. Um and then we talk about different ways that people get afflicted by the demonic and, uh, and then today we're covering what it actually looks like in practice to cast out demons. And so I'm sure that Michael, Roundtree, Josh, myself, we're going to probably have a lot of stories uh, and how we've actually practiced this out. And so hopefully it will give you the tools that you need when, you're, when you encounter this stuff. And you will. If you pray for the sick regularly, you will encounter these kind of things. So that's it.
0: Excellent. So we've addressed a bunch of misconceptions before. Um, we're, we're working off of this premise that Christians can be demonized. We're not using the term demon-possessed again because we just think that's unbiblical vernacular. We're saying demons are non-corporeal. They don't f- fill a physical space because they're in fact spiritual. Uh, so we say, hey, the Christians have been afflicted. Some prefer to use the word oppressed rather than possessed. Uh, but we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty of that. What we're saying is in this video, we want to deal with it, right? Whether you're a Christian or you're a non-Christian, what we ultimately want is to see you walk in freedom. That's the most important thing uh, is that that you are free from these demonic powers and you place your faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Uh, Those are the two things that we're wanting to come away as a win today in this episode. You got any kind of takeaways of like, hey, what would you like to see people walking in thinking about uh, with today's episode talking about deliverance? Uh, I really, I want them to have some practical tools for how do you get a demon Uh,
1: how do you exercise the demons? Okay. How do you do it? So, um, so I I wanted to have, uh, some practical tools for how to do that. Um, but for starters, I I think that I, I'd like to maybe look at an extreme case. Like, what do you do when it's like there are times when it's obvious, right? Somebody's eyes are rolled back in their head, they're talking in a strange voice. You know, it's like a a woman and she's talking in a man voice like this. You know, or some. You know, those kind of things happen occasionally in severe cases of demonization. They wouldn't be the norm. I I, I want to address those scenarios, but then also the more sort of I won't say everyday scenarios, but for lack of a better word, everyday scenarios, uh, lesser on the scale of demonization. Uh, We talked about this in other episodes where, uh, you know, there are times when, you know, like if somebody holds a grudge for a week, right? Like. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Mm-hmm. So the sun go down, that's just one day. You hold on to a grudge for a week. You, you definitely open yourself up. You could get demonized from that. Does that mean that you're suddenly going to be the garrison demoniac, uh, you know, who's in the tombs in the gospels where he's, you know, he's chained up and he's breaking the chains and he's scraping himself and he's naked, which is weird. Okay, but that's severe demonization. Okay, you're probably not going to get that from holding a grudge for a week, but you get a demon. You could, and um, and so on this scale from garrison demoniac on the extreme side to someone holds a grudge for a week. I'd like to address both of those. Are the tools any different for how you uh,
0: exercise the hmm. demons? How you deliver somebody? Interesting, so. Michael. Let's start us off. Where, where, where are we going to start, man?
2: Well, uh, I think the question that that probably needs to be addressed first is how do we know if a person has a demon? Uh, you begin praying for somebody, and and then the the topic's going to come up at some point, and so how do you approach it, uh, how do you know if it's there. Um, and so for that one, we've got, I'd say, one clear scriptural indication, but then you've got a number of different scriptures that sort of imply this person is demonized, and all of those are kind of wor- worth looking at. So, uh, Roundtree, uh, and I'd be curious to hear your story on this. I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm curious to know, when did you first uh find yourself interacting with something demonic
1: that's a good question um, well there's there's when was the very first time and when is the was the first time that you actually knew it right um, because probably probably all of us have had interactions with with a demonized person, and we didn't know it and that's why I think the gift of discernment of spirits is important but I think what uh I think what you're really getting at is Michael, when were you in an, a situation where you were actively casting a demon out of somebody? And uh, and so I, I think that I would say um, when I was a youth pastor in my youth group, we had a, a former gang member—I uh, know that surely makes all the— parents of youth children in my church so comfortable that a gang member came but uh he did come and get saved and uh he got baptized didn't
0: stay a gang member for long
1: he didn't stay a gang member for long
0: turns out blood in blood out <laughs> the blood of jesus <laughs> sorry i try to be as cheesy as possible i, I apologize guys. okay no that's that's uh deep so <laughs> anyway oh, i muted michael and he's like waving at me hey guys tab me in <laughs> Sorry, right. Michael,
2: this was this was a long time ago. This isn't this something is that's recent.
1: No, yeah, no yeah, yeah. it was a very long time ago. So, uh, anyway, so he got saved, he got baptized, he started growing with the Lord, started talking to me about, like, as a gang member, some real deep stuff that he had been struggling with. Now, I, I've had scenarios where somebody manifests kind of by surprise. Okay, that's like a Luke chapter four, Jesus just preaching, and then. You know, a demon's like, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Or, you know, whatever it says. And, you know, the demon interrupts the meeting. Mm-hmm. This was was not quite that. It, it was more like I was just talking to him and he had been involved in, like, not small sins. Like, terrible, like, terrible sins. Like, you should go to jail sins. and Gang-related um, sins. Gang-related sins. So, uh, So I was like, man, this, uh, this really could be an issue where there's, you know, I explained demonizations and, and how demons can attach. And and, and there was also some, there was some definite occult. So witchcraft, occult type stuff, which we did an episode about on Monday. And, um, and I was like, man, I, I would venture that you probably have some demonic attachments. And, uh, what do you think of me just praying over you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, this was like I was leading youth in a Bible study at this point. We just kinda hijacked the Bible study and started praying over this guy. Well, we we prayed over him. He went into a demonic trance. I didn't know what that was at that time. But um, the reason I would say it was definitely a trance. I mean, he was completely glazed over, just as you would imagine somebody being in a trance. But after thirty I say it was thirty it was I would probably say a good
0: portion of our viewers don't know exactly what a trance would look like.
1: Yeah, well, I I don't know. I mean I, I think a trance is where you're, you're kind of out of it, but having some kind of supernatural experience. Now, it, Paul says, uh, like, his vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus, in, in one of the scenarios he tells about it, it's, it tells about it in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. One of those, I can't remember which, he says, I was in a trance and I saw a vision. Uh same with Peter. Peter was in a trance in Acts chapter ten. The story's retold again in chapter eleven. He's in a trance and he sees this visionary experience. But um but the trance is basically like this supernaturally almost kind of like out of it glazed over sort of deal. Um a demonic trance. Now I don't know of any uh examples. Maybe maybe you guys can help me. Uh examples of a demonic trance in the old testament. I mean, maybe well, that- Saul
2: Maybe Saul? I don't know if I know of any in the Old Testament, but I would say I that the experience the Jesus had. Yeah, well, the the experience Jesus had, where he was shown all the kingdoms of the earth. How was he shown all the kingdoms of the earth? What? But tell I me call on it a what demonic mountain.
0: trance? But
2: well, I mean, it, it was Satan tempting an him he's... and showing him. So, so how is he showing it?
0: Michael Michael uh, Miller is using the term trances in like some kind of visionary. Uh, Satan is using demonic powers to show something. Uh, Roundtree is using trance in a, in a sort of uh, incaptivated someone's consciousness and trapped them. So Roundtree doesn't feel comfortable calling Jesus' trance. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, a good delineation. Because, so. Yeah, yeah, so, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Because so it's like Jesus neither, is like, yeah, no.
1: neither here nor there. I wasn't like, hey, maybe you should get in a trance. I'm just telling you what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, to make a long story short, and I didn't really know much about casting out demons at this point. I was just like, I'll just do what the Bible says. The Bible says, go away in the name of Jesus. I started doing that. And this this took quite a while. And uh, by the end of it, here are a couple of strange things. So so by the end of it, we had cast some spirits out. And, and I would just say we knew that by visionary experience. It, uh, we... Uh, I can't remember if the other people with me saw this too. I remember I saw certain spirits leaving at various moments, but it was like we cast one, you know, you know, like in Mary Magdalene, it says Jesus cast seven spirits out of her. Um, and so did they all come out like all at once? Was it a one by one? We're not really told. I know what this guy, it was a one by one. That's why it took a while. And so we, we finished at the end of it. Uh, this guy, uh, two things for one, he came out of the trance. And this is how I know it was a trance he remembered nothing. All he remembered was showing up to the Bible study and then nothing. Okay. I've had that happen a couple of times. Did he feel tangibly different afterward? Incredibly. Okay. But, but so in two ways. Okay. So first you're talking about life transformation. Yes, it it definitely, there was, there was a big difference. Uh, But the, uh, the other thing was he was so exhausted. I literally, this was like a, he was probably 250 pounds. Uh, it it was as if he had torn his ACL and I was helping him off the football field. Like, mm. uh, he had his arm around me. Like, he couldn't walk. That's why, like, he comes out, he's like, what just happened? And I was helping him walk to his car and he didn't live with his parents, lived with, like, grandparents. And I helped him into the car. And, uh, and so, yes, he felt different in two ways. One was transformation. Two, he was exhausted. And what I've seen is that uh and and again i've seen this a couple of times but um it it, actually a number of times i don't know if you guys have experienced this but when you cast demons out of somebody do they get exhausted afterward i've seen this happen and um and my assessment my my guess is that our spirit is doing battle even if physically we might be sitting in a chair our spirit is doing battle and and our spirit energizes us. I mean, you look at Ephesians 3, it's like may the Holy Spirit strengthen your spirit, okay? So our our spirit is part of what energizes us. So if your spirit's doing this hardcore battle, it makes sense. Now, again, I'm guessing there. I don't know why. I'm telling you what happened. Yeah. That yeah. was my first so like casting out of demons experience.
0: Let me let me just kind of give because we're going to answer this question, but I want to bring it up. Um, a former viewer, we did an episode on Christian witchcraft. Uh, we had someone in the comment section say, hey, I'm a practicing witch. They're back in the discussion. Thanks for being here. Glad to have you. Uh, they have a relevant question for our discussion. How uh, do you differentiate between demons from mental issues, right? Because we'll, we'll acknowledge there are actual mental issues that people have that will cause uh, depression, that will cause anxiety, mental issues that will cause Uh, person to have uh, 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 outbursts where they speak in ways that aren't normative for them. Uh, And we would say um, oftentimes there is a gift of the spirit called the discernment of spirits Mm -hmm. uh, that God often gives Christians to be able to discern in these kinds of situations where there are people in our congregations who uh, they've gone through trauma. They've gone through maybe something that's biological. They've never gone through trauma, but they they have a physical ailment with uh, with their body, and it it, it would be considered uh, unnormative mentally. But there are other situations where there are, in fact, demonic activity, where there is a supernatural worldview that is affecting a human person. Uh, And what we would do is we would say that God, uh, through what we would call revelation, supernaturally bringing something to mind, uh, makes us aware that this person is demon-possessed or demonized. There's a story in the Bible of Paul and Barnabas going through and preaching the gospel, and a woman comes up to them, begin to declare by a demonic spirit, these men are from God, these men are from God. Now, if I'm going to... Try to read some interpretive lens into this text, it seems as if this woman would have gotten credit as a fortune teller, saying these men are going to perform miracles, these men are sent from God. She's actually saying the right thing, but she would have actually been getting credit for that. So Paul turns around and curses her, mute. Uh, He discerned that what she was saying was right, but he discerned that she was saying it in the wrong spirit. Um, So uh, oftentimes, and again, I'm reading that into the text. The Bible doesn't say Paul discerned that this woman had a demonic spirit, uh, but it is in fact what happened. He did cast the spirit out. So there are these moments in which we can discern the spirit in a kind of supernatural way. Uh, Sam Storms, a friend of ours, tells a story where they were walking through the streets and uh, uh, doing evangelism, I think it was. And when they, they kind of felt this, this eerie, creepy, dark feeling come upon them where they were discerning, man, there's something demonic here. And they walked around the corner and there was a big old pentagram and a sacrifice laid out there on the concrete and they discerned it before they ever saw it. Um, and I think the Lord does that. He prepares us for certain kinds of engagements and interactions with people, uh, and oftentimes can give us supernatural revelation of why that thing is there, um, Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. We just went through a couple of episodes where we talked about legal ground and how you can practice certain sins and these certain sins, like Michael mentioned, unforgiveness, that can give the demonic powers legal ground to have access to your life. And oftentimes the discernment of spirit will actually work alongside that. So, you know, this is a demonic spirit. Oh, and this one's here from unforgiveness or this one's here from uh, outburst of anger or this one's here from X, Y, and Z, practicing witchcraft, that kind of thing. I think
2: the, the tough... Yeah, the the tough thing about this is you don't really know if somebody has a demonic spirit unless the Lord reveals it, or unless that thing reveals itself, and that also will happen. Um, and I, maybe another way to think of it, or is unless that thing is revealed because there's a clash of kingdoms, like the heaven, uh, the the kingdom of heaven has shown up, and that thing is now forced to make itself known so it can be dealt with and expelled. Um, but I would say that the, the tough part about saying the only way we would know is through discernment of spirits is um, that it doesn't feel very definitive, uh, but no different than any of the gifts we've talked about. When it comes to uh, prophecy, words of knowledge, you don't really know until you begin to start dealing with it. And so uh, a number of examples I've shared throughout the last several weeks of, of people that I felt like were demonized, um, I mentioned a lady who, who uh, was practicing clairvoyancy and necromancy, and, uh, the way I knew that she had a demon was I commanded it to come forth and it revealed itself. Um, and similarly, I've had other situations like where in South Africa. I'm trying to talk to a person. Yeah. Sorry. Hey, go ahead. To
1: interrupt you. Um, when you say come forth versus come out or leave, wh- why did you say come forth? Were you asking it to manifest? What, what were you particularly asking of it?
2: yeah that's a good question so in this case the woman was asking me how do i know there's a demon and i said what would you like to know and she said yes so that's when i said in the name of jesus come forth and when i said that it was like screaming uh you know she was feeling something clawing at her stomach and in the same way that i told it to come forth i told it to stop and and, uh, leave her alone
1: yeah i i think that on this uh mental illness versus uh, like demonic thing I, I would say that the same caution that we show with physical illnesses we need to show with mental illness right so with physical illness we know for instance from luke 13 we've talked about this one the woman whose back is bent over double because she has a disabling spirit so we know that some physical ailments are demonically caused but there's not evidence that every single physical ailment is demonically caused. That's right. Uh, Same with mental illness. Uh, The garrison demoniac that I talked about earlier, if you have a guy who's naked living in a graveyard, chances are that's mental illness, (laughs) right? And, And so he has mental illness, and we know from the text that there are demons involved. And so I would suspect that in our secular culture that the cause of mental illness... More often than what we give credit for, which in a secular culture is zero, is actually there's a demonic connection. But we also want to be cautious that not every mental illness is, has a demonic connection. And, uh, and so I think we have to make that distinction. And, and what I see between you, Josh, and Miller, you, is that, Josh, you talked about the need for discernment of spirits. And uh, Miller, you talked about the need for uh, just, I mean, observation, observation. I mean, when she starts screaming at the top of her lungs, that's kind of obvious. Somebody's eyes roll back in their head. That's obvious. In the scripture, we look at Saul, and an evil spirit comes upon him. We read in 1 Samuel 18, 9, I think it is. And then in chapter 10, he's raving like a madman, and he has a spear in his hand, and he's trying to kill David, okay? And so there's certain evidences that we can physically sometimes observe, and there are sometimes where the spirit... The gift of discernment of spirits is just necessary because it's not so obvious. And so we would validate both of these and encourage people to exercise caution that just because you have a mental illness, or your friend has a mental illness, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, a, a demon associated
0: with it. That's right, and, and we would say that one of those grounds of like, hey, there's spiritual discernment that we have access to, uh, that is a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit gives, but we also have just like logical reason as we're as we're investigating these situations. We would see this in First John chapter 4. Uh, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out for the world, but this is uh, how you Know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not uh, does not confess Jesus is not from God. So here in this passage, it talks about right Christology, right theology of who God is. Uh, we find in the scriptures that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood but these spiritual principalities as we read through the kingdom of the cults book um, I I think early on I told our guys like hey if you read through this you're gonna realize that these chapters are going to start repeating themselves because what we have is we have actual spirits that have been teaching the same thing for thousands of years to mm-hmm. people and we can think that these are just hey that's just a con artist who's trying to scam people out of money or you can say there's actually a spirit behind these things orchestrating things so that people worship in a certain way and the mm-hmm. demonic world knows hey this is gonna work uh you know paul he, as i hit myself in the face with a microphone uh paul uh was even warned the church of galatia hey these spirits are going to portray themselves as as spirits of light but they're they're devils they're or like it, it yeah in. there it is devils
2: yeah uh, someone asked in the chat section you know when how do you know or so if you're dealing with somebody that you suspect might be demonized do you just command it to come forth? Does, isn't that kind of scary? And and what about, like, what, isn't that going to make you look weird if the person is not demonized? Um, and I, I great question. And, and I don't know any other way around this. I try to, when I'm talking to somebody, if I feel like there's a demonic entity that's causing this, I just say that. Say, hey, I could be wrong about this, but I'm kind of wondering if maybe there's something demonic to this. Would you uh, be open to me uh, approaching it that way? And if they say yes, then I'll command it. If there's anything dark here, I command you now in the name of Jesus to reveal yourself. Um, and that commanding it to come forth, I mean, usually it, it produces results. Either uh, the person will feel something or, uh, you know, I've had demons talk through a person and, and reveal itself. So um, that's the only way I know how to do that other than the Lord just showing me through some sort of gift of discernment of spirits. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would I would say, too, uh, I mean, as a pastor, I try to be cognizant of where the person is at. So, like, if it's in my church and they've been really schooled in how how demons work, I might just straight go for it, like, like, bro, I think that's a demon, boom. You know, I mean, maybe a little bit more than that, but essentially just straight line. Okay, there are other times when somebody has no grid outside of just what they've read in the Bible, but no grid in terms of experience— and I might even maybe they're a, maybe they're a cessationist maybe they even like are kind of against those things but I, I sense it's there. Uh, I, I I've cast demons out of people without them even like knowing that's what I was doing, right? Like, so I, I might do something like this if I wanted to gingerly sort of pastorally walk into it. Uh, and and it depends if I have time to explain I, I might do like a theological explanation and then do it. But if I don't like maybe I'm on a prayer team at the end of a service there's like a thirty person long line and I, I just. Every situation is different is what I'm getting at. But sometimes what I've done is, uh, it, it, and maybe this example will work, if it's a child, for instance. I don't really, and I have cast spirits out of children, okay? I don't really want the child being like, um, devils live in me. You, you know, like I don't even want that to be a thought, right? And so I, I might say to the, to the child, like, if I really sense something, and it's happened a few times, if I really sense something I, and, and a parent was with that child... Uh, I might say to the, uh, I I might kind of address the parent like, hey, would you mind if I, uh, I? I felt like there was maybe like a dark spiritual power kind of like attacking this kid, uh, uh, you know, coming against them, and I and I just kind of want to address it and and make it go away. And parent, you know, if I get their permission, and like, I, I might say to the kid something like, hey, I, so I just want to I just want to tell like I just feel like a something like a, I, I might use the word bad angel or like you know something bad is coming against you. I just want to tell it to go away. I just tell, and I, and I just say, I just tell anything that's attacking this kid, anything that's uh, th- that's messing with this kid's mind or whatever. We just tell that thing to go away, to leave that person in the name of Jesus. Now, that kid is not going to come away thinking like, you know, Michael Roundtree just delivered me of a demonic power, a spirit of such and such. Like they're not even going to say they don't even really know, but I've seen it produce freedom, and I just found that it, it it's really situational in terms of what
0: I say. It's good. Yeah, Miller, we've we've talked a little bit about okay. So, if we think we discern there's something spiritually going on, we're going to address it. We're going to talk to the person. There's just there's just tactful ways of doing this. You need to be tactful. You don't need to be like, "Hey man, y- you don't scream from the altar. I think you got a devil because you're porn addiction." Like you don't just, you know, you're not trying to embarrass people. There are people who have to live after this kind of session, and I think one of the things that hasn't helped is that when people come into this arena of deliverance they feel like they have like this i have this special and unique power to cast out demons uh, because i've done it and most people don't have experience like i do so it becomes this show and at the expense of the person so we want to we want to not have we want not want to not do that we want to honor that person that person still has to live in their christian community after this moment uh, but miller once once we realize hey this has happened this this thing has come to the surface we realize it's there how do we cast it out?
2: Yeah. Okay. Again, I uh, so th- there's some caveats or some, uh, what you call them, uh, airbags, Josh, that we should give. Um, when you're dealing with something demonic, it's probably dependent upon the context that you're in, how you're going to deal with it. So if I'm in a small group meeting where it's become apparent that somebody's dealing with something demonic, I don't mind in that environment making the small group about that person and them getting free, so long as that's what they want. Like in other words, they they don't desire to, to remain in sin that would allow that thing to stay there. They're, they're repentant, they wanna be free from this once and for all, um, so I don't mind making the focus because that's a small environment where you can care for the person properly. Now if I'm at a church meeting and I have somebody come up to me and I begin to notice that there's something demonic, Depending on the level of demonization that I feel like I'm dealing with, I may deal with it right then and there. Or I may set an appointment, a private meeting where where we pray for this. This literally happened uh, last week at my church. Somebody had been watching these episodes, showed up at my church on Tuesday night. And so she told me on the front end, hey, I think I'm demonized. And uh, based on what she was telling me and why she thought she was demonized, I was like, this is probably not something I can do uh, at the front of the church for about a 5-10 minute prayer time. And so we had a private room that we set aside and we went with her, my wife and I, and that's another thing is I never do this by myself. Uh, Jesus sent them out by two and I think this is incredibly important today that we don't cast demons out by ourselves for the most part, especially if you're in a private setting of some sort, just because there's no telling what kind of accusations could get flung your way. And I, I have that as a rule of thumb, not just for dealing with the demonic, but dealing with You know somebody who wants uh, counseling uh, prophecy somebody who wants healing. I just I try to make sure that there's an environment where there's Accountability and disclosure uh, to where it's above and beyond reproach So uh, the other reason we do that especially with somebody who's demonized is because we don't need the the enemy to Embarrass them any further than they've already been harassed and embarrassed. So it's to protect them as well now uh, if somebody comes up to me and it's you know I, I can sense that there's something there. Michael and I dealt with this. We had a guy who was who was he had acid reflux, and um, Michael and I were praying and trying to figure out, okay, what, what do we think the cause of this is? And I, I can't remember Michael, but I, I think you had a vision of uh, him getting caught in a shameful act. And when you had that vision, we asked him, like, hey, did this this happen to you? And he was like. Yeah, uh, and he, I'm not going to share the details of it, but the point is that shame that he had been embarrassing, so embarrassed by uh, getting caught in this shameful act had caused some self hatred. Um, and he had never really forgiven himself for that. And so we walked him through a prayer of repentance and then commanded something to leave. We felt like there was a, a demonic spirit there. Now, that was something we could deal with in five to 10 minutes um, because, you know, it was a less severe form of demonization. And, when we dealt with it, the guy's acid reflux had been completely healed. He went and ate McDonald's afterwards. And, you know, here we are. That was back in, uh, I believe it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken, Michael. Um, yeah. And so we're four years later. I talked to the guy just a, about three weeks ago, and he's been free ever since.
0: Yeah. And we've, we've told a couple of stories about this. Miller told stories about people who were practicing necromancy and talking to the dead. And, were, you know, they were Christian. And they're I say they were Christian because... Um, They were professing faith in Christ, but in addition to that, they were trying to syncretistically merge in these necromancy spirits, and and Miller told them, hey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you cannot do this. There's no mixture here. This is not a thing that we practice, and they weren't willing to let it go. Uh, but I said, hey, maybe come back later. I had a similar experience when we had a, a young girl Eve, camp come up to us. She'd been in and out of mental health hospitals. But we also knew that there was a sin that her parents kept busting her for that she would not repent of. And, you know, she came to us and was like, hey, I think this is demonic. You know, the speaker might have talked about it that, that week at camp and, or that day, not, not, not night at camp. Make it sound like it's a multiple week thing. And uh, so she asked us, hey, would you pray for me? And I just said, hey, well, are you willing to let go of this thing? We, we know that you're wrestling with it. We know that de- are you going to change and not keep doing this? And she said, no, I don't think. Or Well, she said, she was, I'm not sure. And I was like, okay, well, we can talk tomorrow. And when I talked to her tomorrow, she's like, no, I'm not ready. And I was like, okay, I can't pray for you because biblically I'm held responsible. Because if we cast this demon out, Bible talks about seven more evil coming back. If you're not mm-hmm. filled with the spirit. Uh, and these people who are saying, hey, I, I want to rule my life. I'm not going to be submitted to the spirit. I'm not going to let the spirit lead me and guide me in my ethics. Uh, that's not an area that you can have confidence in when pastoring.
1: Yeah. Hey, I want to come back to something that uh, came up in the chat uh, two or three times after I mentioned, I said something about like a uh, a bad angel in reference to a demon. And of course, you know, we've done episodes on this before. Right. That One of the common theories from First Enoch, which is not part of the biblical canon, but uh, one one of the intertesgraphic works, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> any anyway, but it it teaches that the source of demons what is a demon it says uh, it teaches that a demon is uh the disembodied spirit of one of the Nephilim that. First arises in Genesis chapter six, and read about that story. But we've done episodes. What are the what are the names of the episodes we've done on this subject?
0: Oh, tons! I and mean, we've done episodes with Heiser, me and Miller early on in this. Discussed just briefly. Hey, if you take Heiser's take on this or that, um, but tons. You you can you yeah, type in Nephilim. You can type in Enoch. Anything we've done on Nephilim. Anything a- with with Heiser is probably mentioning it. Probably. So I
1: I think that's a feasible theory. That might be right. Uh, I don't consider the Book of First Enoch canonical. But also, uh, when
0: talking to children, you're just trying to make a beeline to the most thing that makes sense I'm to them. I'm not getting into you're the story like, of the Nephilim. Hey, uh, there could be there's three different theories of what could be oppressing you right now, and you know, like, yeah, it's not <laughs> worth the discussion. <laughs> What's up? Okay, Get them free. Quick, quick little story. So
1: my my daughter Anna, she's 13 now, but when she was like five, uh, I was I was praying over her a good night prayer, and in somewhere in the prayer, I said something like protect her from the devil, <laughs> and she goes, Daddy, who's the devil? And, and I was like, oh, I guess I haven't, like, really done a whole lesson on this. So, uh, you know, at the time, she watched Dora the Explorer, or Explorer, right? Okay, you know? <laughs> it's like
2: Swiper. <laughs> I, that's what I said. I said, I go, this is
1: what I said. I go, the devil is just like Swiper, you did, the bad guy. Bro. I said, the devil is just like Swiper, but get this. I said, but invisible. <laughs> and she goes... Daddy, can I sleep in your bed tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, you can. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, so she got to sleep in our bed that night. Oh, my god, was, That was a parenting uh, right there. Hey, uh,
2: another question that would be worth tackling is from Alicia Hout. I don't know how to pronounce that. It's, forgive me. Um, Alicia, but she wife. says... if. No. <laughs> Sorry. There's a bad joke I'm refraining from. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Who are you talking
1: about? Just in in the comments. Mind.
2: Okay. Alicia. Uh, Alicia says,
1: in the comments. Okay. In the live yeah. chat. I don't think my wife okay, is here in comes, live Here chat. comes Alicia.
2: Okay. Uh, so it says, If casting out demons uh, from Christians is essential for complete freedom in Christ, then why aren't we told to do this in any of the New Testament letters, especially since many lived in a pagan culture? Well, uh, depends what you mean being told that are we told explicitly by Paul cast out devils no but we do have precedent throughout the four gospels and acts that that was a normative for Christian practice right. uh, and we have church history to fall back on so if you look at it Jesus had disciples he gave them authority to cast out demons so he did it uh, he taught uh, gave them authority to do it they do it and then the early church practices they do it as well uh, and so the fact that you see um, part of the Messianic profile being casting out demons and healing the sick uh, should, by example, um, demonstrate to us that that's part of Christian practice for us as well. Uh, in the same way that Jesus preached the gospel, he had the disciples preach the gospel. And part of that was demonstrating the advancement of the gospel by casting out demons. So, Yeah, so uh, the, think- the
0: question could be coming from a couple different angles. One of them could be just like, hey— um, The prepackaged assumption is that all Christians live absolutely free of demonic power. Um, I think that's probably the assumption in the question. And in saying, hey, this is an argument from silence because there is nothing in the Bible that says cast demons out of Christians. Therefore, you must not need to cast demons out of Christians. Now, we touched on this a couple of times. Paul in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, says that there was a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him. Okay, now again, that seems like there's some kind of demonic affliction. Now, some will say, oh, that's oppression, but not possession. But again, we've talked about this. There's no such thing in the Greek of possession and oppression it's just demonized. They're non-corporeal spirits that are afflicting people. They afflicted Paul, and I think Paul was a Christian. Um, now, in, in his given situation, this might have been a sickness that was given to him. We don't really know what it was, but the ultimate goal was that Paul was saying, hey, I'm boasting in Christ's power to be made perfect in this situation. So again, in, in these kinds of situations where they're believers or unbelievers is unimportant, what we do see is they're demonized. Now, if, if you are a Christian you know, and and hold a New Testament worldview when it comes to the scriptures. The Bible does not say uh, that every demon was defeated at the cross uh, at all. In fact, it says that Christ has made everything subject under his feet, and yet we do not see all things yet subject under his feet. Ephesians chapter one. uh, Is it Ephesians chapter one? It talks about the prince of the power of the air. Um, It's in Ephesians. Uh, It talks about Ephesians two. Yeah, so it talks about Satan as Still reigning in some capacity as the prince and the power of the air, though the, the demonic has been disarmed, well, they still afflict. Uh, even Ephesians chapter six talks about uh, the the fiery darts of the evil one. There's an actual affliction in fight that we have with the spiritual worldview. Uh, so all Christians everywhere yeah. uh, are going to need to deal with this on some level.
1: Yeah, and and I think we what well, we have a little bit of the case uh, a case in point here is that. The didactic portion of the New Testament, especially the epistles, most of them had specific issues they were dealing with That's in right. specific churches. So, Paul's going to address idolatry in First Corinthians eight through ten, and in twelve through fourteen, he's going to address uh, spiritual gifts in chapter eleven. He's going to address the Lord's Supper, and he's picking questions up in Galatians. He's going to address their heresies, uh, uh, their heresy, and, and so. Each
0: letter He's has something. Address the new perspective. Yeah, the new perspective right. of Paul. <laughs> no, just getting <kidding>. Keep going. <laughs> okay. okay, so
1: <laughs> in each letter, there's something specific, and so uh, and so. Do we want to say I, now? I'm trying to think. I'm racking my m- my mind, my brain here. I know the New Testament, uh, the didactic New Testament, the letters. Okay, I know they talk about baptism. I'm trying to think of a of a command. Is there a command in the epistles to baptize people? And if not. I mean, it says what
0: baptism does. It,
1: does. it says what baptism does. It talks about baptism just like it talks about demons.
0: I'm trying to—I'm right? I'm drawing a blank. But here's the point. We're going to feel so sheepish afterward if yeah, we're like, well, oh, no, it, there's like 30. It, it might. It might. <laughs> okay. okay.
1: I know in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says, I'm glad I didn't baptize anyone. Yeah. Okay. So it talks about baptism, talks about it in Romans chapter 6, talks about it in uh, Second Peter. Talks Right. But—and there are lots of examples of it in the book of Acts. In Matthew 28, he just specifically tells us. Now, that's a narrative— yeah. My point is, we've got narrative, we've got epistle, and they're different. And in the narratives, the four Gospels and the book of Acts, they are replete with examples of demons leaving yeah. and demons being cast out. Do we want to look at these like these are just newspaper accounts? Or do we want to look at these as though they're actually telling us how to live
0: via story? I would say it's the latter. And, and again, we, I want to make sure that when we're, when we're talking about this, okay, there's a, there's a demonic force, there's a person that comes uh, in front of us, and we realize that there's a spirit here, and we say, hey, we're talking to the person, we're like, you know, repent of this sin, they repent of this sin, you cast out this demon, or you cast out this demon, and then you have them repent of their sin. The cart before the horse, it doesn't really matter in this given situation. Uh, but, but how is it that the Christian has power? How is it that the Christian has authority to stand in front of a demonic power and say, be gone? Now, what if there's like a Jewish sorcerer or a person who practices witchcraft or uh, maybe a Buddhist who comes in and they all have their little exorcism and they all want to practice a certain kind of position? What gives us the power and authority to actually cast out demons? Uh, and, and again, pointing to the faith of Christ. Christ right now, seating on a throne, is king. Right, it says of his government and of his kingdom there will be no end. It conquers and it moves forward. The gates of hell don't prevail against the kingdom of God. It keeps pushing them back. So what we do when we confront a demonic power, uh, we are placing our faith in Jesus. We trust that He is still King. He's still sitting on a throne and He's still conquering demonic powers. And as we have trust in faith in Him, we realize through His session, the mediated power of the Holy Spirit, that we have authority over demonic powers. This is not an inherent power within us. This isn't something that we get to walk around with. It's trust and faith in Jesus, and Jesus' power is made on display through the agency of his church. So when a person says, hey, man, how do I cast out a demon? How do I know that I can say, demon, go? It's because Jesus said demon go and we trust in his power, we trust in his authority. You could you don't you could be a child, you could be a teenager, you could be an old, you could be young, but if you're a Christian, you have faith in Jesus, Jesus has the power to deliver people of demonic powers. It's not our power, it's not trust in our practice or mode or method, it's trust in Jesus. Um, and I can't stress that enough. It's it's a very, very important piece in this model. So I
2: think the um we're running out of time, and I want to make sure we get through some of this stuff before we finish. In the process of casting out demons, so we started off with this idea that um, discernment, uh, discernment of spirits is how we might know something is there, or uh, we find um, something else that would indicate it just by their behavior or their symptoms, them describing. You know, at night, I feel like there's a weight on my chest and I have night terrors. Or uh, I notice that whenever I say the name, name Jesus, I feel something choking me. So there are physical things or symptoms that would sort of allude to the, the, the idea that somebody is demonized. So the other thing I've mentioned is we don't want to ever do this by ourselves. We, we do it in pairs for accountability's sake and to, uh, to protect that person um and we don't necessarily cast out demons in front of audiences we we pull them aside to to protect them as well Um, now the actual process of it you know typically if the person's a believer uh and, and they're completely repentant i will just command it to leave um, and, and that's usually a first question. Are you a believer? Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you believe that he He died and rose from the dead and that he is the Messiah and through him forgiveness of sins comes? So that, that first part is, is sort of a pivotal thing. It's the easiest way to deal with something demonic is to transfer out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. Um, and then uh, if... I'm dealing with a believer and whatever we're dealing with isn't leaving. Uh, That's when I usually ask the Lord, what is causing this? Where did this thing come from? Or I'll ask this person, how long has this thing been there? Um, Usually there's something in what they'll say or what the Lord will show me that will sort of give me, uh, for lack of a better term, a key to let me know why this thing is there. and, and it's one of those behaviors that we mentioned in the last several episodes, like different ways that de- demons get in, uh, an invitation into somebody's life to, to afflict them. So um, at that point, I'll then walk them through a prayer of repentance, uh, confessing Jesus as Lord, uh, re- uh, asking for forgiveness for a particular sin and committing their lives to never participate in that sin again. And then uh, asking the Lord for mercy to be free from it. And then I will again command that thing to leave. Um trying to think what else to say here. I just want to make sure that these things are very clear. Somebody had asked me uh, in the chat section a couple weeks ago, hey, do you really need to have somebody repent for some sin that they committed when they were a kid? And I would say, yes, why not? Uh, um, They may not be committing that behavior today, but there's still a recognition that what they did was wrong before the lord and asking for his mercy to be set free from it um and then of course he sets people free from it because that's what his blood purchased so uh this is an interesting i I know that can i bring this up because when we're talking about repentance
0: this is something that's important for even christians and we use this passage in second corinthians we'll we'll probably do an entire episode on this uh next week but in second chapter 10 it talks about the weapons are warfare right Uh, verse 4 the weapons are warfare are not uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey God. I'm sorry, uh, to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience uh, when your obedience is complete. So here in this passage, it talks about uh, our, our weapons, right? Our weapons are theological our weapons are there are these thoughts there's these knowledge that rises themselves against the knowledge of Christ these are could be demonic thoughts they could I mean I would say that they are demonic thoughts uh, that are that are created strongholds in 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 who we are now uh, for example uh, I would give an example of uh, someone who's close to me a family member that Miller prayed for one time and uh, this person uh, had tons of migraines and Miller's talking to him and says hey we uh, what's going on? Tell me, when did these migraines start? Well, this happened back then. Well, did this happen when back then? Uh, yeah, yeah. And he goes, does this have to do with your value and your worth? And Yeah, I don't see myself valuable. I don't see myself worth anything. And he's like, well, this is a stronghold where the enemy is trying to convince you uh, that you're not worth anything. And as he began to walk them through repentance and say, hey, man, you're a daughter of Christ. You're valuable. You're loved. You're all these kinds of things. And, and believing these things that are actually true, you're tearing down this stronghold. He prayed, felt physical relief, uh, and stopped having migraines right so this is a a demonic activity uh that it has ground in this person's life because they had unrepentant sin they had wrong thinking and we used theology to liberate them does that sound right Miller yeah
2: yeah yeah so you know sometimes what we're having people repent from is a particular behavior or sin uh and the other thing that we have people repent from is a demonic way of thinking or a stronghold of the mind, which next week I think we're going to cover in some length how to tear down strongholds, and that uh, that is often a lot more. I, I find that tearing down a systematic way of thinking that somebody has has had for years is actually the more difficult work of deliverance. Uh, Another word we could use for it is discipleship. And so I think we'll go into some length next week on what it means to tear down a stronghold because that is a way that people get demonized and afflicted. Um, They've got certain agreements with the enemy that they've made about themselves that are lies, about God that are lies. Again, it's all knowledge raised up against the knowledge of God. So you've got this systematic way of thinking that is actually uh, demonic in its origin uh, versus the truth of God about who he yeah. is, what he's done, and who you are in him. Um, um,
1: hey, so there's a, there a good
2: question from Ben Wren. He
1: says, what are your thoughts on why there's little demonic possession in the Old Testament, or we might say demonization in the Old Testament? And, uh, and what we see in the New Testament is it's when Jesus, he's preaching the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, is at hand, and it's in that context that he's casting out demons. Hmm. It's in the context of the kingdom is here. And he explains that in Matthew twelve twenty-eight, and, the, and again in the context of a demon being cast out. And he says, if I cast out demons uh, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That is the reign of God. So in the Old Testament, what you had is you had prophets prophesying, especially like Daniel, and, uh, but Ezekiel, Isaiah. There's a kingdom that's coming. And the the kingdom of God is going to be one day over all of the earth, and God is going to come, and he's going to reign. The kingdom of God is just the reign of God, and he's going to reign over all things. He's going to reign over all of the earth. And so the uh, the Old Testament saints were looking forward to the coming of this kingdom, and Jesus comes, and he says, ta-da, it's here. Yeah. Okay, the kingdom is here. It's good. Now... It's both here and it's coming. The full consummation is at Christ's return, but but he comes and he launches, he inaugurates the kingdom of God, and part of and that explains his healing ministry as well as his casting out of demons ministry, because because where uh, where Jesus reigns, a demon does not. And so where the kingdom of God is coming upon somebody's body, that demon has to go. And so that's why he sends out his disciples and he says, go and preach the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons. Because the healing and the casting out of demons are associated with the reign of God coming over somebody's body. Okay, And so, and so this is really the bigger theological reason why, even though we don't have a command in the New Testament epistles, go cast out demons... Uh, this is the big picture reason why we believe that we are to follow the narrative of the Gospels and the book of Acts, the example that is set for us, because we believe that the kingdom of God is advancing. And if my ministry is one of preaching the kingdom, it should also be one of demonstrating the kingdom. That uh, that part of the the ministry of the church in advancing the kingdom of God on the earth should be advancing Healing ministry and casting out of demons, because that's what it looks like when God reigns over human beings. Demons have to go. So it's good. I think I got kind of worked yeah. up there. No, no, no. Let it's me, good. Let me uh, good. let me oh, elaborate but, on but, that. But one. so, why was it not so much in the Old Testament? Because the kingdom wasn't here yet. It started in Jesus. It's it advances through the Church Age, and it's consummated at the return of Christ.
2: It's good. I, I think what John has to say in uh, John chapter one is is uh, Parallel to what Michael has just said, uh, it says the light of the world came and it exposed what was in darkness. Why don't we see a lot of demonic activity? Because the light of the world hadn't come to expose what's in darkness. When Jesus shows up, uh, he starts preaching the message of the kingdom. These things are forced to come into the light because the light is present there. And I, I would say the same thing is true with believing Christians. Uh, as we preach the kingdom, you will have these examples where the light of of the Lord
0: Jesus uh, is present, and it exposes what's there. Um, yeah, I've got a, a question in here again. Devil's daughter asked, "Good question." So, if someone's not a Christian, um, is it like mandatory that they have to be demon possessed? The answer is no, no, absolutely not. Uh, we would say both Christians and non Christians can be possessed and both christians and non-christians can not be possessed Uh, but the goal is that there are certain prescriptions that god has in his kingdom right hey this is you live in texas these are the speed limits on the road. Oh, but by the way, if you drive faster than the speed limit and you don't uh, observe the the, the, the lights uh, as you're driving, you're going to get into a wreck. There's going to be danger. And in the same regard, when Christians or non-Christians violate God's law, they place themselves in harm's way. They place themselves in danger. Now, if you never stopped at uh, a red light, you just drove through red lights, Is it does it mean that you're going to get hit by a car? No, no. But does it highly increase the chance that you're going to get hit by a car? Absolutely it does. And it's what happens is God loud. is saying this is how the kingdom operates. And in the kingdom of God, we're going to live a life of righteousness that is prescribed by God's law. When we violate God's law, we open ourselves up to demonic activity uh, that that very well harms God's yeah. people. Yeah. Or not I, God's I, I would
2: clarify on, uh, one little point on that. When you say that uh, both Christians and non-Christians, could be possessed or could not be possessed. Uh, I would des- I would declare that there is, I would do, I do declare, uh, I, I do would declare. say that there is a distinction between somebody who is in Christ and somebody who is not in this, when it, when it comes to darkness, uh, demonic realm kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, in Ephesians he says, those who believe, right? This is a particular group of people who have believed and trusted in Christ for salvation. They've been transferred over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. So, there is a sense in which, when we say possessed, what we mean by that, uh, which domain are you in? Well, if you're not in Christ, then you are in a demonically uh, charged world. Um, right. And I'm trying exactly. to explain this hard. Uh, a yeah.
1: and, and if we define demon, if we use the word demonized, and if we define that as being influenced by a demon, then every non believer is influenced by a demon. Uh, In in fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says just that. I mean, the verse you quoted works great, Miller. Uh, But also Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you walked in the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. Okay, so this is everybody, the spirit, the ruler. This is talking about Satan, the devil. Okay, and so if Jesus is not your Lord, Satan is even if you don't believe in Satan. Okay, so is that person influenced by the devil? According to Ephesians chapter 2, then most definitely yes. Now, does that's, that mean that you're automatically the graveyard guy, yeah, the garrison? No, it doesn't. That's a pretty mean loose that. definition, okay, too. Okay, uh, along the loose I, – I liked your answer, Josh. But the I'm point the
2: point you're making is there's no playing Switzerland in this. You right. don't get to yeah, be that's uh, his, a non-participant. That is the point
1: that I'm making, and Josh would totally agree with that. Yeah. And um, I would also say if we want to look at church history uh, – you know, part of the way they would work with their catechumens and, and walking up into the baptism, it, it was like a time of fasting, uh, of getting rid of any sort of demonic attachments or idols or anything. And then when they were baptized... They would renounce Satan as part of the baptism, and deliverance was seen as part of that. And I think if you look at the First Peter 3 portrayal of uh, baptism, you'll see that there is sort of like a supernatural uh, demonic warfare. Uh, I, I think Michael Heiser says this in his book, The Unseen Realm, oh, yeah. that uh, baptism is spiritual warfare. That, that it is the transference of from one kingdom to another. And so uh, with all of that said, I, I think what I would say is if you are not saved, if you are not born again, if you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus to forgive you and to give you a brand new life in some manner, in one way or another, you are under the influence of Satan. Uh, you are under the influence of demons. And I would uh, I would call on you, I would exhort you— uh, as one who loves you, to repent of your sins, to trust in Jesus, to ask for His forgiveness, to become part of a local church, and to be baptized. And this is your best route to uh, th- this is your best route to um, leaving behind those old influences. Uh, and, and certainly, if you're part of the occult or something like that, that this is something I, I would I would call on you to do.
0: Yeah, and we want you. I mean, ultimately, in well, okay, Christian, non-Christian. Like we, sin is a horrible slave master, right? Like it promises so much and then it never delivers on anything. It keeps us bound. It destroys our lives. It destroys the lives of our family and our loved ones. It has eternal consequences. Um, whether you are being demonized now or being robbed of glory in the new Jerusalem, I want you to live free. Like that's really important. Okay. If you're a Christian, you're watching this, and you're like, hey, Christians can't be demonized. Okay. Okay. Do, you need to live in repentance because I do think there are consequences for your actions. Um, live a life of openness. Live a life of repentance. Um, I, I think, man, even if you, you look at you know, Ephesians chapter 6, again, you get the fiery darts of the evil one and the way that those things are quenched out are by the, the shield of faith That's what the Scriptures mm-hmm. articulated as. Now, does that mean that if a Christian is not properly equipped that those darts can hurt them? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's armor for a reason. And I think that there are Christians walking around naked, um, and they're getting hit. They're getting hurt. And I want you to live a life of freedom, and I want you to live a life of victory. Uh, Christ didn't come and die on a cross so that we could be bound and slaved. So let's live a life of freedom. I think that's for our good and for his glory. I think that's important. So
1: so let's maybe summarize, like, just so people walk away with some handles here, okay? Uh, If there's a spirit and it's obviously manifest— you have authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about why you have authority in other episodes, but uh, Ephesians 2, 6, you've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms far above all principalities and powers. You have authority in Christ to cast those demons out, so go cast them out. Tell them to go. Tell them to leave in the name of Jesus, and uh, and if it doesn't work the first time, talk to the person. Ask them to repent of their sins. Uh, ask them if, uh, to confess their sins. Bring it into the light, and uh, to confess, to repent. And, uh, and we'll talk some more next week about if it gets to the real nitty-gritty, kind of working through some demonic strongholds. We touched on it today, but we'll talk about that uh, some more next week. But confess, repent, believe, and command. Those would be my handles.
0: I like it. It was that double iteration. It works
1: well. Yeah, there you go.
0: Miller, what's your thoughts, man? Uh, last little
2: boundaries, I'd say, is don't do it by yourself. Uh, Set appointments. Don't stay up all night with somebody. There's no reason to do that. You should never hold somebody down. Just a simple command is all that's necessary. Um, And remember that that in this, it may involve discipleship and helping people tear down strongholds of the mind, uh, helping them renew the way they think, uh, replacing lies with truth. Um, And that is a process. We don't just, it's not a one and done thing for many people who've been living with these things for a long period of their life. Uh, As I gave testimony, I was demonized for a large chunk of my life, spirit of abandonment, rejection. And that has taken a great deal of work of changing the way I think about myself and about God uh, to live completely free. So that's it. Uh, Next week we'll, we'll discuss uh, strongholds of the mind more in depth.
0: Excellent guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode got a lot of great stuff coming down. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Lots of great content, but we are entirely crowdfunded. If you've been blessed by the ministry, link's in the description to give. Uh, there's discipleship content also in the description. So if you're like, hey, I want to know where to get some good books, there are some phenomenal books linked in the description. Bunch of blogs written by Dawson on the website, Uh, And like I said, we're crowdfunded. So if you want to support us on Patreon, links are in the description. You can read the book on Buddhism with us. Uh, anyway, Guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us once again next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. We will see you then. Blessings, guys. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there,